0: I want to go ahead and invite you to open up the Word of God with me to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. We're looking at the Gospel of John. Been in it a lot this year. Walked through the first four chapters. Uh, in, in pretty good detail. And right now what we've been doing is walking through the miracles. There are seven primary miracles that we find that Jesus did in the Gospel of John. And we know that a lot of them considered them to be signs and they just wanted to gain something for Jesus while not having faith in Jesus, etc. cetera. But John chapter 9 is a beautiful picture that really is going to force us to examine who we are as transformed followers of Jesus. That's what we strive for here at Chapel Point. That's our vision is to be transformed followers of Jesus and how we respond to him and how we pray and everything else in life. And so as we look at that, as, as we examine John chapter 9, um, I, would, I would encourage you to even read it later on again. There's a lot that we're going to walk through today. In John chapter 9, and you always, whenever you read scripture, ask yourself, what are you learning about who God or Jesus is? What are you learning about who he is? And then what, is, what are you learning about how God wants to transform you? What's he wanting to teach you? And so we're going to have that opportunity this morning. I want to go ahead and jump in, though, to the first four verses, John chapter 9, verse 1 through 4. And let's read this together. John chapter 9, verse 1 through 4. It begins with, as he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. And Jesus answered him, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Now, I'm going to go ahead and ask him in the back to go back to that first verse couple of verses there, John 9, 1 and following, because I want us to unpack at least this first verse or two very, very quickly. It tells us as he passed by, here's Jesus traveling. He's already getting closer to the cross. The next miracle that we're going to jump into next week is John 11. It's just after this. It's the raising of Lazarus. We know that's the last miracle he did before he entered into Jerusalem for the very last time before his death. He's been ministering. He's been serving. He's been empowering the people around him and teaching his disciples. And here he is passing by. He sees this man blind from birth. We already know that this is an individual that, that is known It tells us in verse 8, we'll get it to later, but I want to make sure you hear this now. Verse 8, it tells us that the people around him, they recognize him as the person being blind from birth. In verse 18 of John chapter 9, it lets us know that his parents even gave testimony that this was a man blind from birth. So this isn't someone that all of a sudden is going to receive this miracle of healing from God. Who we go, who were they previously? I mean, is this even really true? We know here's a man Blind from birth, people are identifying as, yes, this is the same person. He would have been in a small community. They would have recognized him. And now he's going to be healed by Jesus and empowered by him. And this miracle is going to be done. Blind from birth. And his disciples then asked him a question. Jesus is someone who's known, even with the Pharisees who were constantly trying to trap Jesus, he would take everything that they would present to Jesus and Jesus would turn that around often in the form of a question that he would ask them to force them to evaluate themselves. Now, they didn't always appreciate that, but here we find the disciples stepping in and asking Jesus a question. And it says the following, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Blind. Now, this is, this is crucial. Who sinned? This man, which we know it wasn't him if he was born this way. So it's an interesting way to even present the question. If he's born blind, um, was it that he the sinned? No. Well, how about his parents? What they're wanting to do is they're wanting to understand the cause. They're wanting to know who to blame for something that they currently don't see as being right. Now, what we consider to be right and wrong, we need to be very careful with. Because according to Scripture, we often view things as being right or wrong that Scripture does not necessarily agree with. But I think we would all conclude that, hey, it'd be nice to have visual sight. It would be nice to be able to have that. And they're wanting to know who to blame for this very thing that this man has been unable to see. They want to know if it's this man's sin or his parents' sin, and they want an explanation. But we are reminded that sin of the past doesn't always equate with suffering in the present. Sin of, the past, sin of the past doesn't always equate, equate to suffering in the present. We understand this. And Jesus says, listen, verse 3, it was not this man, right? It was not that this man sinned or his parents. Don't blame either. But that the works of God might be displayed in him. But that the works of God might be displayed in him. As we unfold this passage, what what you have is the first seven verses of John chapter 9 really are the miracle that unfolds in front of us, okay? So we're going to unpack that with some detail, and then we're more loosely going to look at the rest of the story here. But this is a story that I'm telling you, I've read it numerous times, but God has forced me to reevaluate how I see the world in which I live by this chapter in the last couple of weeks. He's forced me to do it. Because he says, it's not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. The disciples wanted to know who to blame. But Jesus' answers was saying, that's not what matters. Let me tell you what the purpose of it is. So often we don't see the purpose of how God is wanting to work. Because we're so consumed with trying to figure out who to blame, what to blame. And we don't think that many things are our fault. We think that it's always a result of sin. And we know that it is the fall, Genesis chapter 3. We know, Genesis chapter 3 lets us know that sin certainly has consequence. And sometimes we underestimate the consequence of sin in our life. But right here, sometimes we get so bogged down and who to blame, including God for the wrongs in our life, that we ignore the fact that God has a purpose for everything if it is surrendered to him. Wow, I mean, what an opportunity we have right now with coronavirus and other things, with jobs being lost, with an economy that has been crashing and going up and down and different things. We look at all of these these different scenarios, and too many of us are, are eager to point a finger rather than to recognize that God can use any of it. And it doesn't mean that God is causing all of these things, but God can certainly use them. And God can have a greater purpose for that. Wanting to know what or who to blame for difficulty in our lives can blind us from seeing how God can use that same difficulty. Maybe you're one of those people who've lost a job or maybe you're one of the individuals who you're struggling because you've, you've discovered sides of your spouse by being with them as much as you have that maybe is not flattering to you. Maybe if you're honest, you've evaluated self by your response to those individuals and maybe you've determined that you're not who you need to be and you're trying to figure out who to blame Maybe we need to start spending some time to discover how God can use that difficulty, the purpose that he can accomplish in the midst of the hardship. I mean, it's a powerful question. Who sinned? Jesus says, listen, it's not about that. What it is about is that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, if you have your Bible Um, I would encourage you, I have underlined, highlighted everything, the works of God. That one phrase, the works of God. But that the works of God, the works of God might be displayed in him. Did you recognize that if you are a follower, a believer of Jesus, and this is something I'm just being reminded of more and more and more, I'm not in existence to further my agenda. I'm in existence to come and to accomplish the works of God so that he might be displayed in my life. That is our purpose of the church. It's not to increase for self, it's to increase the name of Christ, right? We, we, we look at it over and over. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Listen, that's what life is about for us. When we look at everything that's unfolding around us, listen, I know that sin is the initial cause of suffering, but a specific sin isn't always the cause of specific suffering. And so we're looking at this passage and Jesus is coming and saying, hey, listen, the purpose of this blindness is what matters. And the purpose of anything, whether it be blindness or difficulty of any kind, is to put the work of God on display. Did you know that's the purpose of your life? To put the work of God on display. The way you go to school, school, the way you don't go to school, the way you work, the way you're disciplined and being honest with your work, who's still paying you if you're sitting at home, right? And not doing as much And your integrity and your character and still doing everything you can to serve someone who's paying you and everything else that comes in right now at such a season. The purpose is always for the believer of Jesus to put the glory of God on display. Wow. And it's just, I tell you, friends, it's, it's been the sledgehammer hitting me. Because it's so hard for us to set aside our desires, to set aside what we think is proper, to set aside what we think is best and to go, you know what, his ways are higher, his thoughts are greater. And I trust him. And it's just been rattling around in my heart and in my soul. I mean, we, we, could, we, could, we can conclude there. Here's the purpose to put the glory of God on display. The works of God on display. The work of God, not our work. That our lives somehow, right, even as sinners, knowing that the fall created that, that we understand that, that somehow our lives could be congruent with that of Christ could run parallel somewhat to that of Christ. That somehow our life could be resembling of his word and his truth and his promises. Isn't that what it is? It's not for us to go, well, here are my plans and this is what I have to accomplish. And then all of a sudden, if those plans don't go well or those thoughts don't go the way we want them to go, then we get angry, know that God can use everything for his purpose of displaying his works, the works of God. And that's like that recalibrating, right? It's it's the engine that isn't running very well, and somebody says, oh, you need a tune-up, and we need that spiritual tune-up to recalibrate us, to recognize that as a believer in Jesus, and I know the vast majority of people that I'm speaking to right now claim to be believers in Jesus. The purpose of the believer in Jesus is to put the work of God on display, his glory. Nothing else. Uh, Another way of even thinking about this is understanding that the amount, the degree of difficulty in our life, that doesn't determine the value that we give to God in our lives. Because that too, and especially the difficulty, can be used by him to put his works on display. How is God using your life to put his works on display right now? And are you surrendering to that? Can I challenge you? I just want to encourage you to even the next week, maybe you incorporate that language into your prayer time. Maybe even as a family or with a friend that you have that you can call them and go, hey, every day let's pray that God would put the work of God, his glory, reveal that through our lives and the decisions that we make and the work that we do. Because here's this question the disciples are asking about this blind man, and he's like, man, you've already, you're already off track. It's not about that. It's not about who to blame. It's about how I can use it for my purpose of putting the glory of God on display. What a great way to be reminded that no matter the circumstance you're walking through right now, God can use it. Jesus says, I'm going to put my power on display. And he says, listen, it's not necessarily by healing you, but I will certainly sustain you. Right? God often even, and we're going to see this over and over again, we need to be reminded that this is less about the healing and more about what they acknowledge Jesus as being and who they believe him to be. But Jesus shows his power not only by removing difficulty, Please, please hear this, friends. We we need to know this. God shows his power not only by removing difficulty, but by sustaining us in the midst of difficulty. As many miracles as Jesus did, it tells us in scripture that he did numerous miracles and other signs, too many to even record. I can't wait until I get to God and and I get to say, tell me more of the stories and all the stories I'm going to hear about the other miracles and the things and the ways that he revealed himself throughout history. And I can't wait to do that. There's too many for them to ever have been recorded. And, And I look at it and I go, man, he's sustaining us in the midst of difficulty right now so that we can know more of who he is. verse 4, he then continues in the same understanding and says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Two things that this means for us. Jesus is going to heal this man's blindness, but he's going to have to do it quickly because as I addressed earlier, he knows he's moving toward the cross. Jesus is going to move from healing, which is the temporary, to dying in order to serve humanity. He's going to move from healing and the miracles and the signs, and he's going to move to dying. Think about that. He's about to reveal the glory of God, not just through healing people and the miracles that he did, but by conquering death. And this is that literal healing that takes place in verse 5, 6, and 7. It says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. We can go to other places, just even the chapter before this, John 8, 12. He speaks about being the light of the world. It's one of the I am's that we're going to cover in the summer. But he says, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. And it said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sin. So he went back and washed and came back seeing. Now, I don't know about you guys. I want you to think back to maybe if you have a child getting hurt or maybe if you don't have children, think about when you got hurt when you're younger in life. And um, my mother, um, she always did the same thing. No matter how severe the hurt was, she treated everything the same way. Campbell's chicken noodle soup and rich crackers. And if there was blood to be seen, it was Bactine and a really large Band-Aid, period. That's the only way that things were treated in my house when I was growing up, right? Well, it'd be cool, I guess, if some of that happened, but think about this. All of a sudden, you're blind, and these things are happening, and this is how Jesus heals you, right? He takes some mud, spits on it, mixes it up, throws it on the eye. Social distancing was not observed. Like, we understand that, right? And we think everything Jesus did was not conventional. Everything was unconventional. Everything that Jesus did, why he's the son of God. And so many times we don't even see the miracle of God because God is working in a way we never thought possible. I pray often that I would never allow my current thinking of how God can work to keep me from thinking about and seeing how God can work in a greater way. Are you restricting what God can do to display his work in your life by determining whether or not that's logical for what you already know of God? Or are you allowing God to continually work in our lives? in a way that may be beyond our current understanding. Because scooping up some mud and spitting on it and rubbing it together and throwing it on my eyes, I don't think any of us would go, okay, that's cool. That's how I want to see God do his miracle. Wow. Some of us even question, okay, wait, why why mud, we even know later on in verse fourteen it tells us that he even healed the healed the man on the Sabbath. One, we know that in Greek, that word for what he did is actually the same as coming together and kneading dough, which according to the Jewish people and the law, that would have been against the law. You could not do that. And so they said, you can't, you can't do it like this. Healing on the Sabbath was not legal as well. So all of a sudden he's doing these things, once again, unconventional and in an unusual way, but he was doing it to display the work of God. To do a mighty work, which is what he is desiring to do in your life. Isn't it amazing to think about? The fact that God wants to use us and to do a mighty work in our lives. He's light in the darkness. And just to give you a summary of the other verses that are to follow here, John 9, beginning with verse 8, I want to run through some of this. Um, And I am going to do just kind of give you an overview as I read through some of it. This man has all of a sudden been healed and and, in a really unconventional way. God has done a mighty work. The disciples question Jesus, whose fault is it? He's like, it's not about who to blame. It's about the purpose I choose to to fulfill. And then all of a sudden, as soon as this happens, the people begin to question. It's like, is this really the guy? Is this really the guy? Is this really the guy? And it says the neighbors who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit here and beg? Some said, "It, it is he. Other says no, but he kept saying, I'm the man. I'm the man. I'm the one. I've been here all along. You know who I am. Don't you understand? And so he, they say to him, well, then how were your eyes open? He answers, the man called Jesus put mud on my eyes, anointed me, and said, go and wash. And so I went, washed, and I received my sight. And they said, where is he then? And he says, I don't know. So then all of a sudden, in verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees this very man who had been healed, who had received sight after being blind. And we know that it was a Sabbath day. It tells us verse 14. And the Pharisees begin to question him. And they're wanting to know everything that happened. Now, maybe this will help you. I want to give you, jot down some verses. I'm going to break up this chapter in about four or five sections, real quick. And you're going to see a really cool pattern. Verses 1 through 7. If you just jot down John 9, 1 through 7, right beside it, write down the miracle. Blind from birth, healing, mud on eyes anointed goes into the pool he can see and then what you have is you jump in to verse 8 through 12 verse 8 through 12 this man had experienced something from God and so now all of a sudden what he's doing is he's sharing his story hey what happened let me tell you what happened where is he I don't know where he is right now but he shares his story and isn't that what we do as believers when we encounter the living God we want to share that story we want to be able to share that story. Well, after verses 8 through 12, what you have is verses 13 through 17. He's, this man is brought before the Pharisees. And what we see is they began to interrogate him. And you're going, well, interrogate? Yeah. I mean, if you look at the language here, they were really passionate. Because what you're going to see is they didn't like the answer he was giving. And so they kept interrogating him until they could try to figure out what part of their answer that they liked that they could use. Now, I'm not going political here, but it sounds like the media today. Just keep asking the question or saying it in different ways until you get the answer you want, maybe. I don't know. Like, I'm going, okay, wait a second here. That's what happens. 8 through 12, the man shares a story. They bring him to the Pharisees, 13 through 17. The Pharisees begin to interrogate him. They brought him to the Pharisees, and they're like, hey, what's going on here? And he says, he put mud on my eyes. I wash and see. And some of the Pharisees, this man is not from God. There's no way Jesus could have done this because he didn't keep, he didn't do it, he, he did it on the Sabbath. He didn't keep the ritual. Well, after they interrogate him, they don't like the answer. And so then they interrogated his parents. 18 through 23, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked him, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And they just say, listen, we know that he was born blind. He will speak for himself. He's of age. He's an adult. Ask him. And so now in verse 24 through 34, the Pharisees are seen interrogating the man again. So they bring him back in and said, listen, for the second time, they called the man who had been born blind and said. So now 18 through 23, they interrogate the parents. Verse 24 through 34, they interrogate the man once again. And he says to them, listen this is what I know. I was blind, now I see. Verse 25, they say, well, what did he do for you? How did he open his eyes? He's like, I've already told you. You wouldn't listen to me before. You're asking the same question. I'm giving you the same response. Why do you want me to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciple? I love that. I love. I mean, he just calls it out. Like you keep hearing the same story. Like, are you just trying to get the story you want, or are you listening to truth? Because maybe if you listen to the truth, maybe you want to be his disciple. Earlier, it says the disciples asked him, Rabbi, do you want him to be your teacher? And so the Pharisees are re-interrogating him once again. And it tells us in verse thirty-four, at the very conclusion, it says that they cast him out. They, they responded to this guy, man, you were born in utter sin. How, how could you teach us? And they cast him out. And people kept asking, maybe you feel that way, that you've encountered God and he's worked in your life and you've begun to share your story. And people, instead of being like, wow, they, go, they just keep interrogating you and they keep telling you, there's no way, there's no way. But this man just remained faithful and speaking truth to the point of where they even cast him out. And all of a sudden, he's he's facing this controversy in his life of being interrogated by the religious leaders. But yet, yet, we need to be reminded that suffering and controversy exposes and shapes our heart. I think this man's heart was being shaped. I think it was being shaped in this moment. And that's what suffering and controversy often does. And it exposes what our beliefs really are. Is that not happening for all of us right now in this type of season? Verse 35 and following, it says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. He found him and said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, I want to go ahead and acknowledge something right now. This is where I keep saying the word unconventional. Jesus healed this man who was not a believer in the fact that he was the son of God. And we, all, and we know, because in verse 38, you're going to see when, where he acknowledges, I believe, in terms of Jesus being the son of God. So often, yet we know he was already healed, and so often we determine who we believe God can use and who he can heal and who he can work through. And I would argue that God used this individual who, until this passage in verse 38 was not a believer and yet he was still convinced in what God had done, something had done, this man Jesus had done in his life. And so he still boldly confessed that and he spoke of that very thing. Are we okay with the fact? Are we okay with understanding? that God works in ways that we can't imagine and he can heal people we can't imagine, that he can accomplish his work, his desire through people that sometimes we people of the church would say, well, that's not possible. We may not even be willing to help some of those individuals, but that's what I love so much about Christ. He says it very clearly. And not only does he state it, but he lives out that he has come to embrace everyone. Everyone. And if we're honest, we don't like that because we don't think that's fair. I am grateful that Jesus shatters fairness. I'm grateful that Jesus said, listen, you don't deserve it either. These people don't deserve it. It doesn't matter what classifications you have. Here's my classification. I want everybody to know my power, my love, my forgiveness, and my grace. That's the power of Jesus Christ. And we don't like it. We determine what we do and how we do it continually based on whether or not we think God can do something else with it. And yet God continually shatters in his word our idea of what makes sense and doesn't make sense. God is powerful. He is in control. He has the power to do anything he wants. Are we living a life that displays his power, displays his glory in that type of way? Because here he is, he says, listen. Do you believe, verse 35, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answers, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? He's asking the question in verse 36. And Jesus says to him in verse 37, you've seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. Verse 38, he says, Lord, I believe. And then in that moment, he worshiped him. John 9, 38. Who is he? He's right here. And it says that he believed and he worshiped him. And personally, I'm just, man, I'm just struggling all the time. And I'm praying that God would help me in removing my stereotypes and my conditions that I often place on God and what he can and cannot do. And I'm praying that he would show me and teach me that he can do more than I could ever, ever imagine. That I wouldn't limit what that is. What we see here, this blind man teaches us so much and I think teaches the believer there's certain things that we're going to have to examine. If you really open up the entirety of John chapter 9 and you let it pour into your heart, there's some things that we really learn that we've got to understand. One, that for the blind man, it led to three things. And I think for every believer, every, every believer and follower of Jesus Christ, one It it lets us know that he gained vision both physically and spiritually. Yes, he began to see physically, but I'll tell you right now what matters the most is verse 38 when he began to see spiritually. He began to see spiritually and I will take spiritual healing for me personally and I I pray about this. I will take, I always want to see spiritual healing as being so much greater than physical healing. Can physical healing be a sign? Yes, it can. But often, I think it's in the midst of having the physical hurt that we get to display the work and the glory of God the most. And so if that's what that means, to live as Christ and to die is gain. It's this spiritual recalibration. It's a great way to you can go and look at the words of Paul 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 6 speaks to this and that we're often blind to the fact that we're already limiting the God of the universe and what we think he can accomplish and not accomplish. God can heal the blind. He can heal the lame. He can heal us physically. He can heal us spiritually. And who you think he should heal or not is not up to you. He is the God of the universe, and he desires for all people to acknowledge him. Praise be to God. And sometimes we're blind to our own guilt. We're blind to who Jesus really is. And when you gain vision physically and spiritually, this is John 15. John 15, the spiritual part right here. John 15 where he says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, he'll bear much fruit. It's the abiding of Christ in you, right? He wants to abide in you and to sit with you and to let you be about more than you ever knew that you could be about. That's what he desires for this church, for you. Second thing that we learn for the believer here from this man is that boldly confessing faith to the unbelieving and even the antagonist. Right? If you've encountered the power of God, you want to better share that. It says that he believed and that then he began to worship. We already know that. But man, this guy, he was he was just brought before all of these individuals and scrutinized over every detail but he just kept telling the story about how this man had worked in his life how this man had worked in his life his name was Jesus there he is and this is what he did in my life well no we don't like that answer give us another one and he never allowed his answer to change based on the ears of others he allowed the answer to be what the truth was God had healed He boldly confessed his faith to the unbelieving and even the antagonists, the Pharisees, just kept pounding on him. Well, we don't like that answer. Tell us something different. And he never changed his answer. He just spoke truth. This guy at the time wasn't even a believer. And here you, Mark Mark 8, 38. Whoever's ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of him. I mean, in summary, that's what it says. And he wasn't even a believer at the time, and yet he was never ashamed of this man and what he had done in our life. May we not be ashamed of the power and the miracle of God in our lives. May we not be ashamed of that. May we seek it out. And then finally, what we see is this man, verse 38, right? He outwardly began worshiping regardless of appearance. He's already established the fact. He doesn't care about whether these other people are saying. And this is a guy with some, I think even before knowing Christ has some character and some integrity because he was just gonna speak truth no matter what. What is dumbfounding to me is the number of people that seems to be out there who claim to have experienced the miracle of God in their life, and yet they still don't have this boldness and this courage to speak of his truth. And here's this man who was being raked over the coals. He then professed faith in Jesus Christ, and he just began to worship. He didn't care about the response of anybody else. That's what we need to see in his church today, to usher that in, to allow the Holy Spirit to blow in in such a powerful manner. One of the things I've I've gleaned from this passage and learned so much from is it's just reminded me. My life has no value outside of Jesus. I know that, especially for the non-believer, that's a really hard thing to compute when the world says do whatever you want and chase after that. My life, though, as a believer in Jesus Christ, I recognize my life has no value outside of Jesus. And so I just want God to do whatever he wants to do because he's going to heal people and do miracles that I would never imagine. But it will always be greater than anything I could imagine. My life has no value outside of Jesus. And so as his church, knowing this church knows our life, our church has no value outside of Jesus, our prayer is simple. God, have your own way. Have your own way. In our living rooms and in our kitchens, online school, walking the block, seeing a neighbor, whatever it is. God, have your own way. Lord, I come before you and I thank you for your work. What a powerful story for us to be able to sit in today and recognizing your goodness, and recognizing your truth, and recognizing your power, and recognizing that your works are often well beyond anything we thought possible. And some people don't think that their life, they don't think it's possible that their life can be redeemed and restored. God, don't let them listen to that lie. You're in the business of restoration. And so may all of my friends listening right now be reminded that no matter what situation they're in, no matter what circumstance they're in, whether it be a consequence of their sin or whether it not be a consequence of their sin, you can use it for the purpose of revealing the glory and the works of the Father. And may we be encouraged by that as we boldly proclaim your truth. In Christ's name. Amen.